Welcome to another edition of Building Tech Talk. And today we're talking CO2 and we're talking with Andrew McMurray and Matt Henderson of Occam's Technologies. Did I get all that correct? Yep. Good so far. Nice. Excellent. What do you guys do? Uh, we do carbon capture. Um, so, yeah, quick background, I suppose. Uh, Occam's Technologies was founded in late 2019 uh, with Andrew and I looking to bring simple solutions to the oil and gas industry to help uh, improve the carbon footprint of the industry. Um, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, no. Um, we started Occam's in 2019 uh, with the hopes to decarbonize the oil and gas industry. Um, both of our backgrounds are in oil and gas. Uh, I started my career at Shell. As you can see, they're slowly migrating out of the upstream business into more of a downstream or carbon capture business. Um, had the chance to work as an environmentalist on the inside and actually hydraulic fracturing. Um, and now trying to pivot my career into you know helping decarbonize this commodity that we have so abundant in our natural gas and natural reservoirs in Canada and the US um, and turn it into something that's more powerful and useful um, for a growing society. Excellent. And I know that's something that our resident experts here are uh, always interested in ways to decarbonize and reduce footprint. So uh, introducing uh, Scott Jenkins, CEO, ZS2 Technologies, and Dr. Doug Brown, CTO at ZS2 Technologies. So gentlemen, I think this is something that um, definitely has been on your radars as far as looking at how what Occam's Technologies is doing in order to decarbonize oil and gas, but also how that can apply to the building industry and where we're going as far as uh, a decarbonization. So Doug, maybe starting with you a little bit, kind of what, what piqued your interest about what, uh, what Occam's is doing right now? Yeah, so um, I'm very interested in fuel cells and the role they may play in decarbonizing our grids. Uh, and so hearing about your guys' company, I was excited to see uh, maybe what the nuances are between, you know, what I think has become mainstream on the hydrogen economy and how uh, maybe a fuel cell has a role to play there. Um, and on, you know, what are the challenges that you guys are facing uh, in this sort of commercialization process? Uh, so in terms of the technologies that we're bringing to the uh, to the oil and gas industry so fuel cells you know they, they're they're you know an existing kind of legacy technology in in just power anyways on their own um, and we're basically looking at introducing technologies that exist elsewhere in the world like carbon capture uh, you know water purification and whatnot and and bring them into the industry so in regards to what you're talking about with fuel cells what we're trying to do is a, uh, attack on carbon capture on the back end of fuel cell uh, power generation. Um, fuel cells uh, inherently have the ability to be very small and mobile and produce quite a bit of power. They're, they're very efficient, um, but they're not capturing the carbon, just like a power plant. You know, most power plants right now aren't capturing carbon. So, uh, you know, in the lab, that's what we're trying to do is, is build that technology to, to capture CO2 on the back end of a fuel cell and then mobilize both of those devices together into the, into the industry. On top of that, there's also the fuel for fuel cells, which is hydrogen. Um, and Alberta is doing a, a fantastic job of trying to pivot, uh, you know, the oil and gas market towards a hydrogen economy, um, which complements the fuel cell uh, effort as well, because hydrogen is the primary fuel for fuel cells. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about carbon capture, I mean, really, the fundamentals of business when it started was how do we take a hydrocarbon molecule and turn it into a green electron, right? Like. 
following that whole process flow from the wellhead to then emitting some sort of carbon dioxide in the form of energy generation was something we started looking at. So everything from fuel cells to hydrogen production to carbon capture um, and then water treatment um, are all within the wheelhouse when we look at turning that hydrocarbon molecule into an electron and doing it in a more environmentally friendly way. A greener electron at, at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. So so would it be fair to say what, what really interests me with Occam's and all the the development they're doing and, and there, there's obviously some applicability to some of the work Doug's and his team are doing is, you know, even based on your background, you're working within obviously one of Canada's largest industries, one of the biggest contributors to our economy, an industry that's not going away, but needs to shift. Mm -hmm. And so you're helping to, or the goal is to accelerate that shift to a, to a greener, more sustainable, you know, output, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the the carbon intensity of the oil and gas market is often associated with the carbon intensity of the fuel they produce but the oil and gas market itself doesn't emit that fuel that that co2 it's all the consumers of the hydrocarbons that emit that co2 however you know there's trucks and there's flare gases or stacks there's venting issues that go on um that uh that you know the industry is responsible for those emissions and uh uh, you know, we can capture those with with relative ease without when I say we, I mean, the industry itself can capture those relatively easily. Um, but the hydrocarbon itself, like, let's say, let's just talk about natural gas uh, and natural gas power plants. You know, why aren't we capturing those emissions and why don't we send them send that fuel through a fuel cell and capture the emissions there or convert it to hydrogen? Well, convert it to hydrogen, send it through a fuel cell and, and capture the emissions uh, in that way. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so really like if you think about a natural gas power plant, the way, so <laughs> Doug's going to make fun of me. He does make fun of me a lot. So it's actually okay. Both on camera, off camera is, so if we think about the emissions as being this untapped energy source, you're thinking about it like, wait a sec, like that, that's tremendous economic value as well. If, if the technologies that you're developing or already have developed, if we can take that and then bring it to scale, and obviously I've been privy to, I've seen the, you know, the pilot, you know, yeah. models and all of your testing, and it's fascinating, you know, your successes to date, um, and then take that, I just see this huge economic benefit of, you know, it's, you know, if I think about a, an engine, I think about like a, a supercharger or something taking emissions off and then spinning that back in or a turbocharger, right? That's kind of like from a layman's, there's a tremendous value to the whole chain there. Yeah, I think some comments on that would be that the industry is kind of proven, proven on large scale. We've been able to do the Shell um, sequestration and utilization project they have up at the Scottford Refinery in uh, Fort Saskatchewan in Alberta, uh, which is one of the most successful carbon sequestration projects we have in Canada. Um, but trying to take that into a smaller scale to make it more acceptable for uh, some of the smaller businesses, allowing them to pivot has been a challenge. It's very hard to scale some of these things down. And when you look at it, you need a very integrated approach. You can't just have a super small CO2 capture unit and then have a very small injection well. Like in order for these to become more economic, they you're have to be at, scale. at values of scale. And then, but looking at it in a smaller in a smaller fashion, there's opportunities there, and that's what I think we're trying to tackle specifically in the fuel cell component. Like fuel cells are very expensive to install per kilowatt of electricity that's produced, and you need a very refined fuel to go in those fuel cells in order for them not to damage. 
So when we talk about different qualities of hydrogen, you need a very high quality of hydrogen to go into existing hemp fuel cells. So yeah, yeah right, that's correct, right? Versus if you're trying to steam methane reform hydrogen and you have some carryover of other methanes or uncombusted or uh, Unre un unconverted, unconverted uh, uh, molecules, those can damage some of that equipment. So when you look at it, it's just not just like a, hey, just put this in the field, we can then produce 10 tons of hydrogen a day, and then that's gonna be open to such a wide market. You really have to understand who that end buyer is gonna be and where that fuel source is coming from and have that integrated approach across most of the uh, carbon capture and sequestration value chain um, in order to get to a point where we think that this is gonna be more attractive to other people. And as soon as we start to see some scale come to this from the industry, from support by the government, or from more you know, projects like the ones that we're working on, um, I think the adoption is going to be easier. But that first step in the right direction, um, you know, is still struggling. I think. Yeah. On that note, how are you guys seeing this technology play out in sort of the minds and the hearts of people, given the fact that you know there's a global movement away from oil and gas, and you know it's not often necessarily founded in solid science it's more of this social responsibility but if you do answer the co2 question around burning fossil fuels then there shouldn't be a hesitancy to a to broad adoption of a technology like this but have you seen pushback just on on the fact that hey you're promoting the use of fossil fuels I know I've been talking a lot, but I want to talk again. So <laughs> I just got back from the Philippines. I was over in the Philippines for a month, uh, over 40 days, uh, working on a geothermal uh, power plant over there. And when we think about geothermal in our industry, we think of green energy sources, you know, this like green base load. Um, but it was it was a disaster. I mean, there was uh, junk everywhere. Um, it wasn't as clean, you know, the perspective that we have going up into Northern Alberta, watching the oil sands operations or unconventional operations. Like we do a state of the art type of hydrocarbon recovery here in Canada. I can't say the same thing about the U S but you know, here we have a very high standard. If you were going to look at oil and gas exploration anywhere on the world, and you wanted to take the best environmentally environmental policies, you would, you would copy paste what Canada has done. And it's, it's too bad that we're not able to do that, you know, focus on reducing the emissions of hydrocarbon production. Um, because, you know, my experience I just had in the Philippines where they have some of the best geothermal resources in the world. We're cross applying oil and gas technology now to this green science, um, but it's still not to the same sort of standards, the environmental standards that I would expect given the perception of what green energy looks like in our business, right? So I think there's a big shift over to those things, but if we can do what we're currently doing in the oil and gas industry better, which I think is what, what Matt and I are really trying to do. There's, there's just that much more competitive advantage that make that puts Canada on the, the, the forefront of this green energy transition, utilizing our natural resources again. Yeah. And just, I, I think it's, I think it's really a really important point to, to say that Alberta has one of the most closely regulated and watched oil and gas and hydrocarbon uh, recovery industries in the world. Uh, and that, that drives the the uh, you know the reputation that we have globally, at least within the oil and gas industry. That you know, if you want to do something really well in it, what are they doing in Canada? Let's let's see what we can adopt there. And that's what Andrew and I, you know, that's the edge of the envelope. Andrew and I are trying to push even further. You know, we want to reduce our CO two emissions within the industry even further. You know, and when oil comes out of the ground, if we can quickly 
convert that to CO2 and hydrogen, then we've got our hydrogen fuel that came from the oil and gas industry. So these people are still employed and, and you know, the industry is still alive and active. But we're able to capture the carbon right away, uh, oftentimes at lower energy uh, cost, uh, OPEX cost at least. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's at the cutting edge. Uh, it, you know, it, it improves things. It, it teaches the world like, look, you know, the, this industry is needed to accomplish the task of reducing emissions that we need to accomplish globally. And, you know, it, it doesn't need to be demonized. So, so one thing though, um, and maybe this is a bit of a segue is, um, you, you said, you know, that you guys are really at the, you know, the leading edge of the envelope. So, you know, ahead of us, you know, uh, in, in all of our prep for the podcast, we were chatting a little bit about your company's name and Occam's razor. So maybe that would actually be because, you know, talking about the razor's edge or Occam's razor there. So just for, you know, for the 12 people who are going to view this, yeah. uh, which is becoming part of my running joke, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could give a little background on the company's name and, and you know, where that came from and, and the, yeah. the premise. So a lot of, a lot of green tech startups, you know, take some fantastic science out of a university somewhere and start, you know, they get a whole bunch of funding and, and they start a startup and, they, and it's, it's very science intensive and whatnot. And, and Andrew and I just thought, you know, like there is real technology that exists already. Let's go find it and, and bring it to the industry. We want simple solutions for complex problems. And that's the basis of Occam's razor, which is the scientific premise that the simplest solutions to a complex problem is usually the correct one. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. I mean, we're trying to make carbon capture accessible to anyone on a small scale or a large scale. The technology we're working on here in, in the fishbowl is going to have the ability to scale depending on if it's a small application or a large application. We're just going to have these modular units like Lego blocks that we can go and say, hey, this is your application. This is what size you need. This is the type of absorbance you need. And this is the technology that's going to get you, get you there um, versus some of the larger scale, which just allows us to you know, expand modularly and get there. I think there's a lot of um, modular type of uh, technology in your business as well, right? I think this is a future where it's going. If we can simplify this process, make it easier for anyone to get access to it, I think that there's there's going to be scale there, independent of you know modular and scale being kind of antonyms. And there, and there's so much focus it seems on reduction, like, you know, reduction on CO two, cutting back, taxing, uh, regulations around how much you can emit. Have you guys seen any interest in what you're doing from a regulatory standpoint saying, or even, even from an investment standpoint or from governments, from regulatory agencies saying, this is the other part of the equation. And it sounds like there's some value in what you guys are, are, are doing. There's a, like you said, a value chain. So there's a, there's a business model here, but we never hear about it. We never hear about carbon capture being part of the solution on the same scale that we hear about, you know, drive your car less or turn on your heat in the winter and whatever it is. Why don't we hear more about what, what you guys are trying to accomplish? Small scale, small scale carbon capture is, is very difficult. Uh, you know, like there's, there's some CCS plants around Alberta, like Shell and, and whatnot. I know there's a carbon capture facility in Saskatchewan and they're capturing megatons per year. Uh, like millions, it's 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 great that they're doing it and they're putting it underground and that's fantastic. Um, one of the things that's making it possible for them to do that is the the price on carbon, which which is important. Um, you know, if people can recover some of the cost by selling a a credit, 
uh, that reduces the cost. And, and what we're trying to do is, is is shrink that technology down. So, for instance, you know, small users that have, you know, 100 tons per per day emitting being emitted from a you know from a, a facility up north. Uh, where there's only five people working or something like that, those guys can capture, those guys have some incentive to capture that CO2 and convey it to the Alberta carbon trunk line. Um, yeah, I think that there there are a lot of people out there doing this. Like you've seen a lot of top talent in the oil and gas industry switch over to looking at CCUS opportunities. Um, the AER right now has a big push at people trying to look at uh, poor throat injection and like, you know, where we can actually store this carbon for longer term periods of time, right? When you think about carbon storage, you can't just take a single well in a field and think that you have integrity of that one well and say, okay, this is great. You need to look at every single well that penetrates that formation in order to actually have some confidence that carbon is going to be sequestered down there. The second thing is there's a huge opportunity for EOR, especially in our unconventionals. Um, which I think is undervalued. I mean, there's still a lot of great stuff happening in Weyburn with this carbon trunk line. There's a lot of um, mature assets that have historically had CO2 injection that have improved the hydrocarbon recovery on the back end. Because CO2 is a miscible fluid in a hydrocarbon fluid. So like it will uh, decrease the viscosity and enhance your ability to improve the recovery improve factors the recovery. for those wells. However, it's not down there forever, right? There still needs to be um, management of annular flows and the technology side of you know, our business. If we don't have good cement bond logs or good cement jobs and there's surface casing event flows, that becomes an issue. So it's much harder than just saying, Hey, let's just inject it here. And, um, it'll hopefully be stored forever. I mean, poor throat space and, um, subsurface evaluation, which takes a lot of experience from the oil and gas industry is now being now used in this, this green carbon utilization network. Um, which I think is only going to get more and more light shed on it. You can see companies like Advantage Energy, uh, who's a uh, hydrocarbon producer in northern uh, Alberta and BC, switching to their end new entropy business. So this is an internal internal company to Advantage. Uh, my belief, maybe I'll uh, you should do your own research, but yep. my give it the plug. <laughs> my understanding is is that uh, they're focused on carbon capture, and the investor sentiment around that has been fantastic for their stock. I mean, you should see when they started press releasing to it, press releasing this information to where it is now. I mean, I really think that the investors out there and the industries are are ready for these type of pivots, and you can see that in example one with with advantage. I was just going to say, in terms of uh, your both of your experience in the energy industry, um, you know, and obviously we've chatted a lot. What I think is amazing what they're doing is you know, Occam's razor is taking existing technologies, actually bringing it to a scale so it can be more widely deployed, um, but using existing resources from your experience, from your connections in what is Western, you know, one of Western Canada's or Canada's largest industries, yeah. you know, and obviously we also see from an investment standpoint, strategic partners, there's a tremendous interest in, you know, companies that have true commercialization potential for sustainable technologies. Obviously that's, you know, at the core for ZS2, that's everything we do. Um, but there has to be a business case for it. It's not just, you know, a, a hope or a dream. Yeah. Well, for a lot of these guys, the business case comes from ESG push from their, from their investors, people saying, you know, if, if we're going to give you money for next year's uh, round of drilling or something like that, we want to see that you guys are actively trying to reduce your emissions in some capacity or not even just emissions, 
footprint, uh, less water use or you know, more re recycled water uh, use, that sort of thing. Uh, being good neighbors, you know, it's it's important. They're they're the the operators are getting it from their uh, from their investors, but also you know the operators themselves are motivated to do it as well. Uh, you know, these are these are uh, young and intelligent people that are that are environmentally motivated, and they all have families, and they all believe that oil and gas has a has an opportunity to to, to play a major role substantially. You got yeah. it. Yeah, I also think that it's like it's kind of overwhelming as uh, an engineer, an operations engineer, let's say at an oil and gas company to say, hey, we want to make this pivot. And there's all these different tools and technologies out there. And what we're trying to do is synthesize those into like a package that says, this is probably your highest add value add um, component that will make the biggest impact to this business. And then build out different um, types of uh, programs in order to slowly tackle the, the lower and lower hanging fruit or the higher and higher hanging fruit. So tackle the low hanging fruit first, then go to the high hanging fruit. Um, and that, I think it's a little bit overwhelming because there's a lot of different solutions out there. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff is not proven, some stuff is proven. So you know, where do you want to cut your teeth on uh, an energy transition type of technology in some of these oil and gas companies? And I think just understanding from our backgrounds, how a lot of these companies operate, you know, what the different initiatives are and what the value impact could be in their businesses um, is what we can bring to the table for a lot of our clients. Yeah, one company that's doing uh, really well recently is is uh, WestGen, where they've taken, you know, they've, they've started implementing solar solutions uh, to reduce, uh, solar solutions to power uh, compressed air and, 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 you know, switch valves over yeah, to, uh, to compressed air drive right. as opposed to the, the natural gas from the well drive, which would lead to an emission. And their, their business is packaging this together. So it's tight and neat. It, it takes instrument air and removes a high bleed source from your well site. So a lot of these well sites use natural gas pressure to actuate valves and operate their facilities. So what WestGen has done is they've added an air compressor. So they have, have engineered air on location that operates these valves, removes the high bleed sources and done it, does it in a very efficient manner. Um, and they've been, you know, almost globally recognized right now as one of these pivotal energy transition technologies that has just a, a packaged program that's nothing really new, um, not in a negative sense, but something that's very proven that's been compiled together that's super easy to operate. Yeah, very simple solution. Yeah, perfect. Well, what, you know, from our perspective here, and you know, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on the, the podcast was, you know, the technologies that you guys are bringing together, packaging, working on for this large industry, there's there's parallels to what you know Doug and his team and growing team are working on for the cement industries and and you know the built environment. Much like the energy patch in Western Canada is a huge industry, so is construction and materials. Um, so I think what's kind of really cool is to have this you know made in Alberta company uh, really advancing. All of these technologies, you know, similar to Zetas too, which is kind of neat. So, you know, I applaud what you guys are working on. Yeah, no, it's really fun working with Doug in the lab here. Uh, he's he's uh, you know helped me troubleshoot my, the, you know, the the rig we've got operating. But you know, he's always asking me about like you know if you find a well with a lot of magnesium in it, let us know. We need magnesium. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, you know, we're aligned with uh, Lodic Technologies out of Edmonton as well that does water purification. Um, and, you know, that's something we're just forwarding to them. Like you find water with magnesium in it and just give us a bucket and we'll take all the magnesium you got. Yeah. Yeah. 
just to close off uh, this episode a little bit, just kind of looking forward, and Doug, maybe you can weigh in on this a little bit too. Like, do you guys see this as being something that bringing back to the built environment where you'd be able to commercialize something where when somebody goes to do a development, whether it's a housing development, whether it's a commercial development, is it possible in the future that this value chain will be created and then that development would have a carbon capture just as part of the part of building like any other any other piece of infrastructure in order to address some of these carbon issues is that something that you think the industry will be looking at in the future i think from my point of view it's exciting because we have in in our lab the matt and i share a carbon capture unit that takes up about you know what 12 cubic feet um and if you can make something that size that's commercialable and uh actually somewhat economic um which it's looking fairly promising to be honest um i think that opens up a huge opportunity for carbon capture that hasn't even been explored because of what andrew said that these things generally do not work at that scale uh, because of the economics um yeah so so Further to that is, and getting back to the fuel cells, which are you know fundamentally pretty small power. When I say small, they're like small devices that produce a certain amount of power. They're they're perfect for decentralized power, and this is where you know you, you put a small fuel cell on a on a you know in an in an oil facility, oil and gas facility somewhere. You can also power a small community, you know, ten houses or a hundred houses with a certain size fuel cell facility, and tack on carbon capture right there, which right now. Is uneconomical if you were to take the the large scale aiming carbon capture facilities, shrink them down to to you know 100 tons a day facility, uneconomical. Uh, but you know, with some when you when you match it with fuel cell power and that you've got that high concentration CO2, uh, you can shrink it down pretty pretty small, uh, which is which is neat. And, and so fun. so Matt, you know, if I was to summarize, you know, and, and obviously the work we're doing with. Uh, Matt and Andrew and their team, you know, here at our lab, at our tech center, but also what we've learned is what's interesting is in my background in building companies and in, in the construction industry and, you know, back in the day with Pure Technologies or with Dirt Environmental Solutions, you know, and scaling them up, it was always taking what we had and scaling it for big, 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 big and getting it to scale because that's where the economics existed. What's fascinating about Occam's and what these guys are doing is the whole business model is taking something which has been proven at massive scale, but is very difficult to do where you can then roll it out actually to the masses or much smaller. And so they're actually, it's fascinating. They're going the reverse way and that's where the opportunity is. And then that, and you guys, you know, that's why, why you've called the company what you have. It's Occam's Technologies. Well, we're looking forward to Brilliant. checking in with you guys again uh, very soon and seeing the progress you're making and, uh, what we can look forward to in the future. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, thanks everyone for listening to Building Tech Talk and be sure to subscribe on YouTube and ring the bell, get your uh, notifications as well as subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank thanks. you.